0: In this episode, I talked with Carla Sigreed, Jacqueline and Alan Kolker, Distinguished Professor of Ophthalmology and Vice Chair of Diversity, Equity and Professionalism at Washington University School of Medicine, about the gold standard glaucoma surgical procedure, the trabeculectomy. We exchanged detailed tips for success for each step of surgery and post-operative care. It is clear from our discussion that we must continue to train others so that the trabeculectomy does not become a lost art. This is a procedure requiring no special devices and remains the gold standard for achieving low pressures despite its higher complication rate compared to other procedures. There are some audio issues with the recording of this episode that I've cleaned up as best I can. I'm Rob Schertzer, a Vancouver Canada-based glaucoma specialist, podcaster, and health IT expert, and we're talking about glaucoma. Carlos Siegfried, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here.
0: So today we're going to talk about the perfect trabeculectomy, or as I scribble on my Starbucks thing uh, during the last talk here, perfect is the enemy of good. Yes, <laughs> yes. And in fact, I, I once had a talk that I gave for many years called uh, The Relentless Pursuit of Perfection, and it was about trabeculectomy.
1: And we do all try to pursue perfection with it, but we don't often achieve that.
0: Now, one thing that kind of scares me, I was talking to another colleague at this meeting, also a glaucoma surgeon, and uh, he hasn't done a trabeculectomy in the past year at all. So what is it with kids these days?
1: It's frightening, actually. Uh, I'm very concerned about uh, how our young trainees are learning trabeculectomy, how our mid-level people don't have that extended experience and it can't be a dying art. It must must continue because when you look at our current knowledge of what allows our patients to retain their sight long-term, it's low IOP. We don't have adequate neuroprotection, certainly our MIGS procedures do not provide, at, le- at least our current MIGS procedures, do not provide low enough pressures to uh, compete with trabeculectomy, right. shall we say.
0: There's always the trade-off, you know, the, the, the
1: safety the, profile. The safety. Yes, and so safe is great, but efficacy has to be e- our ultimate goal. Modern, yeah.
0: Yes. more um, important, Yes. Because saving our patients' vision is the most important goal.
1: Absolutely. That's why we're all here. Uh, And if we look at some of the studies, even the primary TVT study, TRAB wins, just published recently. TRAB wins in terms of IOP control and number of medications. Uh, How that translates into ultimate long-term success with preservation of vision, time will tell. But right right now, in 2020, it's our best way to preserve vision.
0: So how do we do the perfect trabeculectomy so without any visual aids here, correct yes, talking yes. To our audience
1: so imagine if you will one right? one must consider the perfect trabeculectomy in three parts pre-op intra-op and post-op pre-operatively you have to have the right setting for the eye you need to have everything as quiet as possible be it toxicity from our topical medications, any other inflammatory condition, surface disease, dry eye, steroids preoperatively, minimize the number of glaucoma medications, even consider a short run of oral Dymox to get you over the hump to get things quiet. Uh, I always use topical steroids for a week or two preop. Again, it depends on the situation, whether you have that luxury of time, whether you have that luxury to hold off on some of the medications. Uh, Treating blepharitis, uh, not only for prevention of potential infectious issues postoperatively, but also just the overall inflammatory component. We all know that blepharitis, dry eye are inflammatory conditions, so treat that.
0: I think somebody quoted a figure like seventy-eight percent of our glaucoma patients have myobim gland dysfunction. Is that I would an venture that Because
1: or? I would venture to say that's probably not far off. Because now that we have electronic records, I it feels like on every patient when I'm uh, dictating to my scribe, I yeah. say MGD, yeah. MGD, MGD. Whereas I don't think I documented it prior to EMR. It was just not. It was just an extra three letters that I didn't right. record. Now there's a checkbox, and I, I think if I reviewed, that's probably not far off from reality. Uh, I use topical antibiotic ointments, erythromycin at night. I'll use um, even oral doxycycline in certain cases when it's
0: swelling severe. Pre-op, pre-op. You get the yes. nice and quiet.
1: yeah, not for months and months, but just right. low dose doxy for a week or two. Uh, it can really make a difference. Um, these people that you look at them and you're just you see this mygoliant ooze. Yeah. Um, and then the and then, day of the going okay. back
0: to what was learned from the five F U study, your big pressure drops leading to choroidal hemorrhage.
1: So you know,
0: yeah, I, I I definitely pr-
1: will pre treat. Usually, I don't use uh, manitol until unless the pressure is over thirty or forty there on the day of surgery, um, uh, and it's amazing that even by stopping a drop for a week or so before surgery usually does not um, cause that high of a pressure. Uh, So then, on the day of surgery, uh, in terms of um, management, I use a topical lidocaine gel um, preoperatively. I'll put in a drop of phenylephrine preoperatively, and that will help with control of uh, bleeding at the time of surgery. It just helps a little bit. and then for my procedure, again, good visualization, very, very important, um, place my six oh silk, and then a very tiny nick in the conjunctiva and inject a bit of uh, lidocaine. Uh, and that will help to elevate the tissue. You have this beautiful plane between uh, subtenons and conjunctiva on, excuse me, tenons and conjunctiva on one side, and then uh, episcler on the other. So you've then dissected this plane. Even if there is some scarring at the limbus, you now have this beautiful plane. Yeah, I, I, that as well. I use uh, the uh, mini Westcott scissors, which are sort of a uh, in between uh, Van S scissors and the standard Westcots, because I try to keep my peritome small. The smaller it is, the, sm- the less you have to close at yep. the end. Uh, and
0: the less, less trauma you're doing to the eye. The absolutely, less keep it.
1: it keep absolutely. I agree. Uh, and then I dissect uh, with my um, Blumenthal conjunctival dissector, which is basically a little tiny flattened ball at the end of a yes. stick and uh it will not
0: 810 blumenthal has been on the show oh really okay i've
1: I've never had the pleasure to 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 meet him so uh that would be exciting to meet him perhaps someday i'll put that on my bucket list (laughs) Uh, and uh, it's, it's a beautiful instrument. It's so simple, yeah. but you're not sticking a, a scissors where, especially as I work with trainees, I'm watching right. them chop around in the tissue, which I cringe. Yeah. If you can't see the what you're rectus, cutting, yes, oh, some, I've seen it. Blood you, you can imagine it, yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. And you just, yeah, you don't run into trouble. And as best as you can, so I, I don't use any of the special clamps, and, and I've considered that, but I will reach under and grab tenons. Uh, with a uh, serrated forceps and rather than grabbing the edge of conjunctiva touch that edge as little as possible make a broad sweep and I'll I'll push that uh, dissector to the hub almost you want that flow to be posterior if you've dissected that plane you can have a very large posterior web next uh, cautery you don't have to over-cauterize. You don't need to cauterize right at the limbus.
0: You don't need to create a big astigmatism.
1: Correct, yes, yes, as we learned uh, that that's a, a yeah. risk factor for astigmatism. Uh, and and the, the flap, I, it's usually, I don't measure anymore, but when I'm with trainees, I'll measure between 2.5 and 3 millimeters, and it's pretty much square. I actually prefer a square or rectangular flap uh, because with a triangular flap, you, I believe you have less um, control of flow. And so if you consider the fact that your uh, sclerostomy is is, you know, in the middle of the anterior edge of your flap, if you have uh, diagonal um, uh, edges that go to a point as in a triangle, there's there's um, more, chance that you're going to have excessive flow and you're putting in more sutures i like it's it's personal preference i have no data to support and nor does anyone else between a triangle and a rectangle
0: right. i do something in between i do a trapezoid so oh, there it's a little bit wider yes. at the limbus. yes
1: yes so you have a little more security because right. you don't have more want coverage that of the internal opening. Exactly, you don't want that anterior flow. And so when I do fashion my flap, again, adjusting for refractive error per se, because okay. high myopes will have thinner uh, sclera for sure, um, but get a decent thickness, 50%. You know, you don't know where the other side is, but just get a decent flap. So sometimes you'll see a little more, um, show as I call it, it looks yes. more gray um, versus you, it just looks completely white, but you have a nice uh, flap and you get in that plane. I use a crescent blade and you get in that plane and you just slide. Again, as I'm teaching our trainees, it's not you know this pushing and, and jabbing and sawing action. Right. It's a smooth um, uh, push through the tissue. Uh, you shouldn't have little jets, but if you retract the flap, backwards you can see where you are Um,
0: it's amazing what direct visualization can do for you exactly
1: so the concept when people were doing scleral tunnels for cataract surgery and they were comfortable with that then you would cut down the sides of the flap because we would make that our you know a single site fake or trap now that we virtually 100% of the time do a uh, clear fake cornea. A clear cornea you're using a separate site for your trap so you're going to be sure to go as far anterior as possible centrally but don't go so far anteriorly towards the edges because you don't want that excessive flow um, if there are vessels that you notice if there are those big episcleral um, Aqueous draining veins. Don't do, do not, your flap there. <laughs> you can have it in the center of your flap. That's but not at fine. the edge. And usually there is one right yeah. at 12 o'clock. Yeah. And um, I usually move my uh, flap a little bit nasally to save room for a future tube. It makes yeah. it a little bit easier. So I do go just a little bit nasally, but it's still within the confines of that bed. Um, if it's at the edge and then you're left to cauterize it, you get this distorted edge and you always have to put extra sutures there. Um, I, I forgot
0: to with the incision, straight up at 12 o'clock or are you off to one side? I'm
1: a little bit off, I'm a little bit off nasally, just a little bit. Okay. So I would say my sclerostomy, sclerostomy in the right eye is at, you know, maybe 1 o'clock, between 12.30 and 1 o'clock, just a little bit off.
0: And why do you for that?
1: To save room for the temporal, for, for another yeah. procedure, too, usually. But if it's perfect, you'll never have to do another That's procedure. That's
0: right. <laughs> exactly. Uh,
1: I then uh, instill a myotic, usually myocol, myostat, whatever, whatever you prefer, yeah. because it really makes a difference in terms of iris prolapse. It will help, even though you don't have to do an iridectomy in a high-myo yeah. pseudophagic, who's on a, uh, anticoagulants, you do need to um, be prepared to do one. And I would say 95% of the time I do a very small basal peripheral iridectomy.
0: So do they get polycarbine pre-op or you just No, I just inject it, yeah,
1: I inject it, which I know is cost and it's Canada, so yeah. it's <laughs> they may not allow you to use the Myocol, but uh, we, we have not been... Uh-huh. I do uh, put not a huge amount of viscoelastic in, but we don't want the chamber to shallow, especially in a faking patient. And with the 15-degree blade, I enter at the most anterior aspect of this dissection. I even push the flap anteriorly with sort of the uh, edge of the blade and go down straight perpendicularly. Um, A lot of people will, will bevel it. They will tend to bevel it and then bring their punch in as well at a bevel in a beveled fashion I keep it straight perpendicularly and then your entry is absolutely it's really a cornectomy it's not a trabeculectomy uh, you really often are uh, anterior to Schwalbe's line if we did histology we would know that um, so you're
0: basically would you say you're just at the end of the vascular arcade where you're entering the corneum?
1: yes 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 more or less that's probably accurate and then I take a uh, maximum of two punches. My, yeah. my uh, Duckworth punch is uh, 0.75 um, millimeters, 750 microns. Uh, and there was a study once a long time ago that showed that it needed to be at least 500 microns. Bigger is not better. If, it's, if there's flow, there's no obstruction, there's flow. A hole is a hole. And then it's a matter of
0: uh, and you go quite vertical with the punch too correct punch too.
1: yes yes because then you're not going to have this beveled edge Being that could like be a flap to the center. correct yes mm-hmm. and then comes the art of the procedure and that is which the is the, the next three
0: months, months. Right. <laughs> <Yes>.
1: <laughs> well the closure sure. of the flap having enough sutures it's okay to have too many but it's important to have enough and i am meticulous about Uh, irrigating out all of the viscoelastic and assessing flow. And I do it a few times. It's not just once, oh, looks good, we're done, let's close. I will inject BSS, irrigate out the viscoelastic, and then observe the flow. If I see a gush, if you see this stream of fluid, you know you're gonna need additional sutures. It will shallow, it may not shallow, it will soften significantly. And so I routinely put in two releasable sutures at either corner. And I like releasable sutures that are buried in the cornea because then I don't even have to move them to the laser. It's right there in the office. I grab a forceps and it's very easy, especially in patients with thicker tenons where it may be more difficult to visualize. Yeah, it's really, really hard. Um, And then I will assess flow. And the way I wanna leave it, and again, it depends on what that pre-op pressure was. So if the pre-op pressure was 35, I may aim for a pressure of 18 and if the pre-op pressure was 17 and it needs to be 9 then I will aim for 10 to 12. I virtually never aim for anything less than 10 and that's the art of assessing IOP intraoperatively by um, touching the cannula onto the surface of the cornea and and feeling what it's like and I really aim to teach my fellows and we, we we I test them, and I'm usually within a point. I'm always yeah. correct. No, I, I'm 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 the standard, the and they standard. will yes, and they will. I'll say no. That's that's too high. No, you need to loosen that suture. We need another suture.
0: Do you ever do intraoperative tonometry? I don't. Just uh, do just
1: <laughs> just experience. I. Can tell what the pressure is. Um, And you really can by seeing how, feeling how soft it is with with the camula. Some of them, and I think some of my colleagues use fingers. I don't like fingers, just use a camula. And then I put in additional permanent sutures. It is rare, but occasionally all the excess flow is through the posterior edge of the flap between my two releasables, and I will place a third releasable. That is pretty rare, but I have done that. Uh, and then I go on, I take one last swipe with the Blumenthal because sometimes, oh, I skipped the mitomycin, but we all know the mitomycin step. Keep the sponges back from the limbus, never anywhere near the limbus. I yes. do not place them on the on the flap like we used to do in the old days with 5FU. Um, but keep it very posterior yeah, and abroad. So you a nice
0: low diffuse blend. Correct.
1: And I, as a general rule, I use sponges and not injection. And here's why. In studies, there's not much difference in terms right. of IOP and the appearance of the blab. There may be a little benefit to uh, injection, injection of mitomycin. However, you can't take away injection of mitomycin. So when you open and you think, oh, this is a 65-year-old gentleman. He's probably got pretty nice tissue. Yeah there's no turning back and you look and there's no t-nuts none it's usually the 85 year old ladies but you can be you can be surprised and there you've already placed a a load of mitomyces what do you use for your sponge uh actually we use the the um commercial mitosol and it has small cell sponge sponge segments in it so that's what we use in the old days we used to Cut off, cut cut apart the Marisol um, instrument wipe, yeah. and put those on there.
0: And that old adage that you only remember the complications, or I guess some people only forget their complications. Yeah. Having uh, lost a sponge once and having to fish it out, I switched to using uh, mini neuro pads. They're oh. five by five millimeter sponges that have a,
1: a have suture, a s-
0: a, like a string attached right. to them. Right. I I use two of those. Oh, stuff interesting. Way back there, and okay. I just pull the string.
1: We all count together and, <laughs> in the room, yeah. and I say, "Okay, one, two, three, yeah. We time it, and uh, and then we all make sure there's there's. Yeah. I've had it where it's gone under the superior rectus, and yeah. it's yeah. even though I usually try to place it on one side or the other, occasionally somehow it gets there, and I've I've had that panic yeah. moment before where's the, where's the third yeah. sponge?
0: In terms of intraoperative bleeding. When cautery isn't doing it, do you have epinephrine handy? We do.
1: You're, we do. It's yeah. rare. It's yeah. very rare that I yeah. just that. some
0: people are vascular paths. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I find that It's always handy to. Have. And I don't.
1: That reminds me. I do not discontinue anticoagulants as a yeah. general yeah. rule.
0: Neither do I? Life is Life, more important. Correct. <laughs> yes.
1: Correct. The CVA yeah. is worse than yes. than um, an nlpi and I yeah. and I discuss that with with patients. Sometimes they're on. You know, Eloquis, and it's not for a great reason. I talked to their cardiologist, and they're very comfortable discontinuing it for a couple of days pre-op, but I immediately restart it right after surgery. Um,
0: so we've dealt with pre-op and intra-op. Yes. So well, the I post-op. the closure. Oh, cool. the closure. Sure. So
1: um, my uh, my closure is a running horizontal mattress, kind of a modified Condon. Um, method and uh, I use a nino Vicryl on a VAS 100-4 needle so it's an amazing needle and uh, it's a special order suture but I love it so
0: <clears throat> and when you get to 90 you hit monofilament I yes
1: a of a, yes be two fill- yeah um, and I Work as hard as I can to to uh, have the conjunctiva flip over the knot so you don't have exposure, but it's not always perfect. Um, so post. Yeah, because if
0: you try to run the one that isn't a monofilament, it starts to fray and,
1: and you're it, stuck. Um, yes, yes, yeah.
0: I'm 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 do the wing sutured each end in a horizontal mattress in, in the, the, the middle, but I make uh-huh. sure it's not
1: leaking. Correct, and put in more if you need yeah. it. Yeah, and it just depends on the tissue. I mean, sometimes you can draw it tight like that, yeah. but other times it's it just. So, um, so post-op, post-op uh, is critical. So steroids is number one, and I use steroids for a couple of months, uh, really up to three months post-op. Uh, I start out with pretty high dose. I use um, or prednisolone, depends on cost issues, and occasionally preservative-free dexamethasone, um, which is not always easy to get, but we have we have a pharmacy that will make it up for us.
0: Not, not as potent though either, right?
1: Oh, pretty, you could get away. The dex is actually pretty potent. I mean, yeah, I...
0: that would be 0.1%? Yes,
1: yes. And I will use that um, QID sometimes at the beginning every um, two to three hours, which yeah. is how I use pred for the first three yeah, weeks. use pred every
0: two hours yeah. for the first three weeks.
1: I routinely, yes, I routinely use um, Prednate because it is, Q, I use it, QID. Yeah. And usually if they can get one bottle of it, it'll last me the first month to six weeks, and then they can switch to prednisolone yeah. after that.
0: Just was there a shortage here in the States uh, recently? For,
1: for pred or the
0: diflopredinite? Diflopredinite.
1: Not that I know of. Okay. I haven't heard that one okay. yet. Shh. There's been a shortage <laughs> of everything of Everything. Else. Yeah. I used to use uh, atropine when I was a fellow, Yeah. and I stopped because there's really, I could not find a good reason for it. My I don't have shallowing. In those rare cases that there is shallowing, then I would
0: initiate yeah, it. Yeah, that was part of the Maltino cocktail way back in the days and sort of was carried on, not yeah. from any study. Yeah. But supposedly pulling the ciliary processes back.
1: Right, for and, deepening, but. Right,
0: and also some potential anti inflammatory effect too.
1: Right. And if, and if those are, that's the situation, I can always add it right away. But my patients usually don't, they, they go to work right away. So they want to have their accommodation as much as possible or in their overall um, quality of vision. Um, I use antibiotics for a week um, just because, and I also restart antibiotics and use them three, for three days after pulling a suture because there is a small epithelial defect.
0: Any betadine when you pull the suture as well? Or
1: no. Just I don't. It? I just pull it. with um, the sterile forceps, but I just, yeah, I don't.
0: Use Any non steroidal anti inflammatory? I well. don't routine them.
1: I do not routine But I don't on my cataracts either. So uh, if someone is high risk for CME or they have baseline CME, sure. But that's pretty, pretty rare. Um, In terms so of then. Time, timing of. That's so, the, yes, that's, that's the art. Yes. That's, the, that's the second step of the art. And I never remove a suture less than a week out. I mean, if it's six days or eight days, except when
0: you do, except right? when I do. <laughs> yes. yes.
1: Yes. But as a general rule, Absolutely. it depends on the timing of that yeah. first visit.
0: Yeah. Cause there's no, once you do that and the chamber's flat, I'm then you are, yes, you are, Game yes,
1: up. you are royally in trouble. So, uh, I will remove a suture um, early, that is at one week, yeah. if one of two things is, has, is, is present. One is there's a lot of injection. Um, I cannot massage behind the flap and easily increase flow. Because just a high pressure is not a reason to remove
0: a suture. Yeah, first. if you do a little massage and it goes right down.
1: And it goes right down no and you can see where the flow is, you're fine. Yeah. If you massage and nothing happens, then I gonio. If there's a big blob of heme, that's one thing. If there's some other untoward substance blocking the sclerostomy, namely vitreous capsule, the <laughs> no, sponge, no. Uh, iris, you know, then, then removing the suture may not be appropriate. You need to manage what's occluding it first. Um, I will remove one suture if there is blood. Uh, And, you know, uh, rare cases of injection of TPA or something like that. That's really rare. Uh, So I would remove a suture if there's a fair amount of injection, elevated pressure. Um, But usually I wait. The popular times of of, uh, suture removal are at two weeks and three weeks. Um, And I
0: try to get them to three weeks.
1: Yes, but two weeks, you know, if they have a fair amount of tenons, I'm okay with that.
0: And oftentimes, I'd say 90% of the time removing any suture
1: oh yeah yeah per yeah depends on yeah you know, what your what your flow state
0: is so I more case. may just be anecdotal if it's a combined procedure
1: you're a little more cataract, aggressive it's more yeah. like more likely to yes work. yeah I, I think off the top of my head I would say 75 percent of the time I remove at least one suture yeah. and 50% of the time I'll remove both and then cut others as as necessary Oh uh, with laser.
0: No, I'm, I'm a laser suture lysis person. I don't have the... You leasable. don't have
1: releasables. So you kind of... Same so. thing. It's the same thing. I just find it easier. It uh, does take a couple more seconds to place a releasable, but not that long. Right. It's not that much of a difference. I would venture to say less time than walking them to
0: the laser. That's true. But <laughs> when I do, it, I use the 8-hand Blumenthal laser suture lysis. Yes. <laughs> okay.
1: There you go. There you go.
0: Another plug.
1: Another plug. <laughs> No financial interest, no, I'm no, sure. Yeah.
0: Not for him either. Yes. <laughs> just, um.
1: Um, so yeah, just keep, the key is to keep the flow going, keep the yeah. steroids on board, and um, uh, always reassure patients that you know the the blur. So in terms of blurred vision, right? Just one comment that the more severe the glaucoma is, and I tell them this beforehand, you may have more. Uh, compromise of your vision initially and it may take a little bit longer yeah.
0: to resolve i tried to warn them it could be three months before they stabilize with the vision yes yes not to, try not to worry about it they st- say it again several times post i know right.
1: yes yes and they you know in their 2030 on day one they're like it's blurry yes. is this supposed to be this one <laughs> like, you know you have two two nerve fibers right. that are functioning <laughs> yes, yes it's just right. great thank <laughs> god we didn't snuff out yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, that's my trap in a nutshell, I think.
0: I, the perfect trap. Yeah. All right, and I hope all the young ones out there are listening. <laughs> yes. it's, it's
1: It's uh It's really critical that everybody... I, I like I, uh, the analogy of it's great to do laparoscopic cholecystectomy, yeah. but you have to know how to do an open wound yeah. as well. You have to know how to, how to do a full laparotomy. Thanks for talking about glaucoma.
0: Thank you very much. That's our show for today. Talking About Glaucoma is a podcast of indeterminate frequency and duration, recently averaging four episodes per year. I'm still hoping to get this out monthly in the future. It's available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Podcast Addict, and many other podcast services. Please rate the podcast on your podcast player of choice, subscribe to it, and tell your friends about it so that it can reach more listeners and encourage me to continue to produce new episodes. Follow me at West Coast Glaucoma on Instagram and Talking About Glaucoma on Facebook. Drop me a line at podcast at iguy.org. That's podcast at I-G-U-Y dot O-R-G with your show ideas if you would like to be on a future episode or questions you would like to have answered on future episodes. Keep informed to prevent needless loss of vision from glaucoma. See you next time on Talking About Glaucoma.